Hello, everybody. So today is Wednesday, February 27th, and we are bringing you Block Digest number 160 at Block Height 564,917. What is cracking? Oh, just staying warm. It's a foggy, snowy morning, but that's all right. This is still dealing with the last dog days of February. I swear spring is coming around the corner, but yeah, just uh, getting ready for the show. How are you doing this morning, Janine? If uh, you had told me this morning that I would be in a conversation with Ari Paul about Nazis and whether you should collaborate with them under certain circumstances, I wouldn't have believed you. Well, uh, dude, you should totally collaborate with Nazis if they'll give you a little fiefdom after they take over the world. Duh. Yeah, especially when you can make sweeping hypotheticals about the possible futures of not hiring said Nazis. It's... It's crazy what you can do with your uh, mind whenever you let things just sort of... this is, Dude, this is brown-nosing 101. Get your cut of the pie, man. And as we know, blockchain analytics has been so helpful in putting so many dangerous criminals behind bars. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's about where it just gets super aggravating when they talk about, well, we got to stop criminals. It's like, okay, now we're getting down to... Who, who defines the criminal? It's uh, it's kind of mad. It's maddening. Yeah, this weird thing happens. It turns out the biggest criminals are the ones doing the analytics. That's the way it appears from our side. But yeah, we're about to get right into that. But first, uh, what's going on with these uh, Californians? What's, what's going on there, Shinobe? Don't don't say that. I think you'll offend um, the the people in California. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, well, it is, it is California. It's just reality. Alrighty. So anybody who has gone on our Bitcoin uh, in the past few days has probably noticed a sticky thread where somebody is claiming that California is trying to pass a bill that would ban people who own Bitcoin from holding it themselves with their own private keys. Well, um, no, that is not what is going on. So I'm, I'm going to just explicitly state that again. This bill does not ban you from holding your own Bitcoin with your own private keys. If you are a California resident who is going to contact your politicians, do not start screaming about that aspect of things. It's not true. And contacting your politicians, making claims like that that are factually incorrect is going to do nothing but get them to ignore you and make them take any complaints based on the actual factual content of this bill less seriously. 
because the first thing they're hearing is a bunch of completely non-factual horseshit. And so, like, I do have to say the person who actually posted this initially, uh, thank you for bringing this to everybody's attention, but you are frankly an irresponsible dumb shit in making false claims about it preventing people from legally holding Bitcoin with their own keys because you are creating this dynamic where people are going to contact politicians and start complaining about something in a bill that isn't actually in that bill. And that undermines any resident of the state trying to contact anybody involved in this bill with legitimate complaints because the first exposure to these complaints is going to be people screaming based on things that are not real. So just a, a general thing, when, pe when people bring up bills or legislation or shit like this to try to get it to the attention of the, the ecosystem at large, actually look at what the fuck the bill says before you start making crazy claims. It does absolutely no good to misrepresent these things and actively undermines attempts to fight them. Now that said, this is still an absurdly ridiculous and restrictive bill that is it, like this is going to do very bad things for companies and just the ecosystem as a whole in California if this were to actually pass. It's effectively their version of a bit license with very, very restrictive requirements in terms of who it applies to the process for applying and being approved and the restrictions that it places on anybody actually operating under this license. So first off, I want to go through some of the language in the bill that led to this person misrepresenting its contents. In, in the initial part, it, it pretty much defines um, crypto business activity as anybody exchanging, controlling, or so on and so forth, cryptocurrencies. And the thing that this person who initially posted this failed to realize is in bills like this, they define words explicitly. They, they don't just toss a word in a bill and vaguely apply it in the most general way ever. They give it a very specific definition in the context of the bill. And a few of the things like relevant to this is the definition of control, for instance. It is pretty much somebody who is able to execute or prevent indefinitely by not executing a cryptocurrency transaction. And this is as uh, an entity operating on behalf of another person. In terms of the word exchange, it's explicitly converting a cryptocurrency to or from legal tender, so fiat. It's not just transferring money to some other person on the blockchain, although that is covered in the sense of processing withdrawals. So most of this bill is explicitly dealing with businesses like exchanges, payment processors, things that are actually operating in a custodial fashion with control over other people's funds. This in no way whatsoever makes it illegal for you to have your own private keys and control over your own Bitcoin. 
now that's set. There is one area in this bill going through that is very vague and gray in terms of the exemptions that are included in it regarding individuals being able to actually hold their own coins. It explicitly gives a exemption for an individual or a, it, okay, I'll, I'll just read from the bill for this. There is an exemption for a person using virtual currency, including creating, investing, buying or selling, or obtaining virtual currency as payment for the purchases or sale of goods or services solely on the person's own behalf for personal, family, household purposes, or for academic purposes. And the way that this is phrased this is the only real part of this bill that I have seen referencing the acceptance of virtual currency for the sale of goods and services. And the, the way it's laid out explicitly clarifies only for personal reasons up to the scale of a family or a household. So based on the current language here, and I am by no means any kind of legal expert, so this is just armchair lawyering here. This doesn't seem to be very explicit in terms of exempting a business from this license that simply is just like a 7-Eleven or a Walmart that were to accept cryptocurrencies as a general means of payment. So it very well might be that this is simply incomplete language that the the grammar of it was not constructed as it was intended or it it might very well be that they intend to push this to the point of requiring a retail business getting some sort of license simply to accept it as a means of payment it also creates an exemption for a person who is operating a virtual currency business as long as their annual um revenue or volume is expected to be in reasonable terms $5,000 or less a year. So this potentially leaves open the, the room for very small things like micropayment processing, things dealing with amounts on the order of a fraction of a cent to operate without actually being required to file and go through the requirements of this license. There are also exemptions for attorneys providing escrow services, a title insurance company, government agencies, as well as um, already registered financial institutions. So it seems based on you know, what I've been able to glean from this that things like trust companies, banks, and so on are exempt from having to actually get this specific license. But there's still a lot of very overreaching and in my opinion kind of crazy shit as far as obligations that somebody actually applying for holding this license would have to deal with so pretty much the filing process would involve going through and giving them information to conduct an investigation on I believe five years of the business's history 
if it's been operating that long, if not the entirety of its history, if it's been operating less. Any kind of um, bankruptcy motions or anything that a significant member of the company has been involved with going back 10 years. A criminal background check for every single person involved in the operations of the company and explicitly anybody involved in managing server infrastructure for the company and paying the costs for actually conducting all the investigations involved in verifying this information. Another really kind of screwy thing when you look at this requirement as well as another quasi exemption is any business with this license is required to have at all times a reserve of $25,000 in cash as a reserve that is unencumbered in any other use. So it's effectively $25,000 that has to sit there unused at all times. And depending on the scope and size of the business, uh, this organization would effectively be able to arbitrarily raise that reserve requirement at any time with 15 days notice. Now here's where it gets really screwy. Um, I've already said that anybody operating with a reasonable assumption of having less than $5,000 in revenue a year does not have to apply for this license or file anything. There is a middle ground exemption for any business that does not expect to exceed $35,000 annually in terms of revenue or volume processed. If they do go over that, though, they are required to go through the entire registration process. But as long as they keep their volume under that amount, they are able to simply file some of the information necessary for acquiring this license and then operate without waiting for approval or licensure. But they are still required to maintain the $25,000 unencumbered reserve. So effectively, a business small enough to only be processing $35,000 of volume in a year must collateralize two-thirds of the value of their yearly revenue. That is absolutely batshit insane. Like, the, the, you might as well just not have that exemption because it's, it's completely absurd. I mean, imagine if, if Apple... If Google, they had to take two-thirds of their, their business, their, their worth, and just leave it sitting somewhere doing absolutely nothing. And that was legally required. A business like that would be completely hamstrung. A, a gigantic monopoly of that size. Now imagine the constraints that puts on a small business that's only expected to make less than $35,000 in a year. Not even make $35,000. Handle. $35,000. And with any kind of fee-based model in terms of profit, making a fraction of that an actual profit that they can walk away with. It is absolutely and utterly absurd. Now, as far as some of the more malicious requirements that are involved in complying with the license. One of them is the maintaining of a database for at least five years recording 
every single transaction that a company is involved with, along with the identity of the person it's done on the behalf of, the form of the transaction, so the network that it was processed on, the amount, the date, and any instructions given to them by a user in regards to the payment, as well as the account number, the name, the postal address of the customer, and to the extent feasible, the other parties involved in the transaction. This database can be arbitrarily demanded at any time by the license organization. And failure to comply by divulging all of this information can easily result in the license being repealed and the business shut down. So this would effectively turn any company involved in the cryptocurrency ecosystem into a surveillance arm of the California state government, where they catalog, tag, and track absolutely everything and can pretty much have it demanded of them from the government at any time for any reason and failing to comply leads to your business being shut down. As well, I have seen absolutely no language in this bill, although given the nature of this, I am not clear on any kind of laws as far as general state laws in California as to how they handle individuals' private information. So I'm not aware if there are any general purpose statutes that would create a limit on how long they can hold the data. But within this bill, uh, without considering any kind of general statutes like that, there is nowhere I can find any kind of limitation on how long the state government can hold on to or will hold on to all of this information if they've collected it from one of these companies. So that is absolutely batshit insane. And to really top this off, they are trying to establish a reciprocal relationship with any other state in the United States that has a similar, in a substantial way, licensing um, regime and are planning on pooling and sharing information that they collect from these companies, as is required under this bill, with other states in order to handle coordination of uh, licenses in different states to facilitate allowing their license to extend to other states where there are similar regimes or allow a out-of-state license to be valid in California. And in the language where they go over the sharing of this information for these purposes, they have even gone so far as to claim that they will share with foreign governments or regulatory bodies the private information collected by these companies for any kind of legal reason they see fit. So any if this bill is to pass, any Bitcoin company operating in California is pretty much required to hand over all of your personal information down to who you sent money to if they can identify it. And California will be willing to share this with foreign government agencies. This entire bill is an attempt to start building up a state-by-state -state framework. And I guarantee you we are going to start seeing more bills like this pushed in other states 
to start building up as much private information as they can on everybody in this ecosystem and effectively threaten to shut down and refuse to allow any business who will not comply with this the ability to operate. This is absolutely insane. Now to go another step further, they pretty much are putting a bunch of restrictions on how a business can be managed under this license. They are able to enforce um, civil penalties, confiscate security deposits that are required for the operations of this business. They are, are able to issue temporary junctures. Um, pretty much at any time, they are in control of what is effectively just arbitrary decisions regarding whether or not your business can be allowed to operate. As well, going a step further, this language I found was very interesting. As far as the justification of when they can actually go through an enforcement action, revoke your license, suspend your ability to operate, the first reason given is an unsafe or unsound act or practice. So I have to ask you, when it comes to securing digital currencies, when it comes to the different types of threat models and architectures to defend against threats to people's balances and a company's reserves, do you think the California state government is in any way even close to being able to understand what the fuck constitutes a sound or unsound practice, a safe or unsafe practice? No. They are not. They are not even fucking close. And yet this vague arbitrary condition, which is applied over the entire business, is one of the reasons by which they can shut down and remove the license of any fucking business. As well, they are in total control over when you are able to sell your company, who you are able to sell your company to, who you are able to merge your company with, if you are even able to merge your company at all. They are in charge of deciding any kind of change of ownership in the business and whether it is allowed to go through or not. As well, they are able to fucking pretty much decide whether you can change any material operation or practice of the business. So let's say I run an exchange and I want to upgrade my fucking system to something that is much more secure in terms of handling the cryptocurrency balances of my users. I can't do that without going to the state of California, explaining to them what I want to do, and letting the bureaucracy sit there and decide whether or not what I am trying to do to improve the security of my business and my users' funds is actually more secure. This is absolutely insane. And you don't have to sit here and lie and claim that it's banning people from owning their own private keys to see how fucking insane this is. This is effectively turning any Bitcoin company in California into a indirectly government controlled business that is siphoning up all of your private information down to the tiniest details of every single one of your transactions and openly states that they are going to be willing to share this with other states, with foreign fucking governments. So 
yeah, anybody living in California right now, you should be contacting your politicians. You should be telling them to take this bill and shove it up their fucking ass. But you should be doing so with actual factual complaints and not simply regurgitating the, the nonsense that the OP who first posted this on Reddit was claiming regarding private key ownership. That part is horseshit. Everything else that I've just gone over is explicitly spelled out in the bill. This is the definition of Orwellian. Oof. Yeah, man, that's a lot to take in. I mean, you know, it looked really bad whenever I saw this, uh, you know, being split all over Twitter and Reddit as far as like not even be able to hold your own private keys. And uh, yeah, it's good to clear that up as far as that not really being the problem. And, um, you know, really made a good point there about just like not trying to cloud up the discussion with these politicians with uh, some false information, like really go after it for what the problem is. And that's the license and uh, the way that it's constructed. I mean, you know, we've seen this with the New York license as far as, uh, you know, just creating a way in an environment that gets rid of small people trying to start up businesses and creates ways for these institutional players to come in and sort of take over. And, I mean, this whole, yeah, I mean, that's just evident from that $25,000 reserve and the 15-day notice to move that up. And, I mean, it just seems like the smarter states are taking the sandbox approach and just like sort of setting some guidelines from uh, banking within the state as far as removing, you know, uh, the money transmitter exemption or creating a money transmitter exemption for uh, businesses and merchants that want to accept it and, yeah, it's just, just crazy the fact that they actually want to surveil it all the way around to where they're going to transmit this information with other states creating licenses and federal governments. And it just creates a atmosphere that is so anti-Bitcoin. And I just can't understand how, uh, you know, people in California that are Bitcoin businesses are going to look at this and think that this is anything that the space would want and that could actually grow their business. I mean, they're basically going for a huge regulatory capture in a very Orwellian way that is, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it's a nightmare if, uh, you know, you have to transact in this sort of system and you know that all your transactions are having to go through what California defines as safe. And I mean, we've seen them create the environment that is not safe based on just different echo chambers getting aggravated at one another. It's a, uh, it's really not just anti-Bitcoin, it's also anti-American. I mean, like we've seen these, uh, you know, these people coming into the space that are, you know, just doing things that put people's rights right out the window. And they don't really care about that at all. And, you know, for a long time, this has been going on behind the scenes in a slow takeover. And the whole time there's been some steady pushback from organizations like the ACLU because this is just outright unconstitutional. I mean, there's like a, uh, you know, the Fourth Amendment says we're not, uh, you know, we're not subject to unreasonable search and seizure. And uh, this is, goes well beyond unreasonable. So, yeah. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to mention as far as exemptions, I forgot to say this, wanting to kind of just clarify the issue with private keys, is there is also an exemption for anybody simply um, operating software that enforces the transfer of value through a protocol. So before all of the Bcash retards out there start screaming about Lightning Network and money service businesses, no, this does not apply to that. 
there is an explicit exemption for people simply enforcing a protocol through software. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a, uh, yeah, either way, I mean, this is just a bad move for California. And I mean, Silicon Valley's out there. I mean, they must really want to wreck their, uh, their infrastructure they've been building out in the tech sector because, I mean, we really are starting to see this like, uh, alignment between different states and organizations that are working in either this surveillance state or they're trying to build out freedoms for the people that are living there. And uh, it's just, it's maddening to see states like California and New York just uh, quickly jump in line and say, hey, you know, this has been our game for a long time and we're not going to slow down. We're going to take over this and try and just uh, make sure everybody's funneled through our system so we can take over. I mean, this is where, you know, we really kind of have to let the market decide and people need to uh, just step up and walk away from these services that are going to just try and uh, lobby for this sort of legislation and try and uh, push this forward. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if like uh, this is one of the reasons we've seen uh, Coinbase try and take the steps they've taken recently. So I was literally just going to say that like that puts a whole new context to the neutrino acquisition and how that fits into the data collection requirements of this bill. But I guess, I don't know if Janine doesn't have any comments on this, you want to take us into the latest update on that situation? Yeah, I would just say like, wow, great, great job, California. It's not like I was planning to visit you anytime soon, but Jesus. Um, yeah, so yesterday in particular, I mean, today was a big day as well, but yesterday in particular was a big day for the Delete Coinbase campaign. Uh, Breaker Magazine and The Block pretty much published their Neutrino acquisition pieces within hours of each other, and Kyle Torpy also independently did so, but I, as far as I can tell, he didn't write a piece. Um, they all shared the fact that Coinbase finally responded to the backlash um, about the fact that they acquired the founders of the government-sponsored malware and offensive tech company who got pawned in 2015 known as Hacking Team. So Breaker Magazine and Kyle Torpy posted the full statement from Coinbase, which was as follows. Quote, we are aware that Neutrino's co-founders previously worked at Hacking Team. Let me repeat that part. We are aware that Neutrino's co-founders previously worked at Hacking Team, which we reviewed as part of our security, technical, and hiring diligence. Coinbase does not condone, nor will it defend the actions of Hacking Team. Increasingly, third-party blockchain, an blockchain analysis companies are requesting customer data from cryptocurrency companies that they serve, which means, of course, we should give it to them. It was important for Coinbase to bring this function in-house to fully control and protect our customers' data, and Neutrino's technology was the best we encountered in the space to achieve this goal. Coinbase believes strongly in the potential for cryptocurrencies to give more people control over their personal data. We view our work to create the bridge between crypto and traditional the traditional financial system uh, as critical to accelerating the adoption of crypto around the world. However, significant effort is required to understand the flow of cryptocurrencies and manage risks across public blockchains. We are proud of our long track record balancing a compliant regulated cryptocurrency exchange with the commitment to protecting our customers' right to privacy. 
for Coinbase to meaningfully grow the crypto economy, we know we can never take the trust our customers place in us for granted, end quote. Now, probably the most snarky of the response pieces was an er actually an earlier article from the block. It was separate from the one that they published to everyone. Um, the first one was only available to paying subscribers and awkwardly their paywall is powered by Coinbase, but I digress. Uh, Mateo Leibowitz pointed out that Coinbase uses the word democratize a lot in their marketing material and cited a few examples um, of that. He then pointed out that this seems in conflict with the fact that they have literally hired people who aid human rights abuses in authoritarian countries. Then he says, look, I'm not here to cast stones. Democracy is cool and all, but you know what is even cooler? Increasing shareholder value. That's how I imagine Coinbase's acquisition team pitched the Neutrino deal. And hey, fair game. Sure, Coinbase's marketing materials might give the impression that they're an NGO, but as Mark Zuckerberg may have once said, never let values get in the way of growth. End quote. Ouch. Uh, an interesting quote from Breaker magazine, uh, an article by David, uh, uh, David Z. Morris is the following, uh, quote, University of Toronto researchers found that hacking team tools were being resold by U.S. companies, possibly placing them in the purview of the U.S. Department of Commerce, which oversees American export controls. Furthermore, hacking team funneled exfiltrated data through U.S. servers to foreign governments as a way of covering its tracks. Though the former hacking team executives now leading Neutrino will remain in their London offices, those actions could become a legal or regulatory liability for US-based Coinbase. Oops. Uh, meanwhile, I also noticed that Zcash, oh, I mean, the electric coin company, as they're known now, uh, even though I literally spent some time, some substantial amount of time explaining to Zuko, uh, what hacking team was because he was apparently not really aware of what they did or who they were. Uh, so I had to explain this to him and why this should be a black mark for Coinbase, etc. And yet the Zcash Co. Twitter account is still tweeting out links to the Zcash Earn program on Coinbase, where you can earn $3 worth of Zcash to give up your privacy because they won't even let you use the shielded addresses that are supposed to differentiate Zcash from the fact that they just took 95% of the code from Bitcoin. Uh, if you ever uh, want to look, the contributors on the Zcash uh, repo, the, um, the top contributor, as far as I'm aware, is still Vladimir Vandalon, even though he doesn't work with them or on Zcash. That's how much code they took. That is not theirs. It's an open source project, of course, but you know, <laughs> they, their, their claim to fame is these shielded addresses and they're apparently very willing to market the fact that uh, people can earn $3 worth of it and not use the privacy features on Coinbase. Um, and just before the show, um, I neglected to add it to the news desk, but Udi tweeted that he decided to delete his Coinbase account based on the article from Breaker Magazine, as well as the tweets about this from myself and Aryan. If you would like to participate in this boycott, the hashtag is delete Coinbase. Um, and I also wanna give a heads up that there will be an article from Bitcoin Magazine coming out hopefully sometime this week or possibly over the weekend, which will include some interesting perspectives, myself excluded, uh, on both Hacking Team and Neutrino 
that have not been published in crypto media yet, which is why they were not ready to publish in tandem with the Blocker Breaker magazine. And I'd also like to end this uh, section with a quote from Balaji, the CTO of Coinbase, who once wrote a speech uh, titled Silicon Valley's Ultimate Exit. Quote, there is a fundamental concept in political science of voice versus exit. A company or a country is in decline. You can try voice or you can try exit. Voice is basically changing the system from within, whereas exit is leaving to create a new system, a new startup, or to join a competitor sometimes. Yeah. This is uh, just, yeah, definitely going to partake in the delete Coinbase hashtag. I mean, there was just a little bit too much going on this morning, but for sure I'm going to be getting around to that today, and I'll post that a little later because... I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy to see them come out with this little lackluster statement about, you know, well, we are aware and these guys are the best in the space. And I mean, it's just completely opposite towards what the people they're supposed to be serving. Because, I mean, for the most part, Coinbase is a U.S. institution serving U.S. customers in a few other countries. And I mean, this is where their main customer base is. And yeah, they probably should keep those hacking team guys in Italy because, I mean, this is this is still these are U.S. citizens. I mean, as much as they want to say, like, yeah, we've kind of overtaken the system and this is a surveillance state now, we do still have rights. These things haven't hit the Supreme Court yet. I mean, uh, civil asset forfeiture was going on for 30 years before it hit the Supreme Court and was finally labeled as illegal. And I mean, these companies that are doing this and these people that are just sort of going along with their statement and saying, well, you know, this is something they need to do. This is way more than KYC AML. I mean, we're talking about the people that helped the Saudi regime surveil on that Washington Post journalist who was br brutally mutilated. I mean, Ethiopians, uh, Bahrain, Sudan, like these countries, you know, are not exactly the most free places in the world. And, you know, Andrea said something uh, a, long, a while back talking about, you know, Governments aren't putting Bitcoin to the test. Bitcoin is putting governments to the test. And I think that we're starting to see that these organizations in California and New York who want to participate with all these terrible regimes all around the world, your your cards are being shown. There's no way that people are going to keep looking at this and say, you know, this is something I'd like to opt into. Eventually, we're going to see a restructuring of the states where people are going to start moving to places that are actually going to enable their freedoms. I mean, this is Orwellian BS. And I mean, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, hearing more about this. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, yeah, I want to see more delete Coinbase hashtags. And I'm waiting to see if they're actually going to do some something as far as like trying to save who they are in the space, because what they've given us so far is just an absolute joke. And the discussions we've seen on Twitter as far as people trying to justify it is also a joke. If you call yourself a U.S. citizen, it's sad that you call yourself that. That's coming from a veteran who's fought for your ass. All right. Yeah, this is like Square needs to hurry the fuck up. Or no, even even like, see, that's the thing is like that I'm looking towards Square Cash to enable deposits so I can cancel my fucking account. And move to a different alternative to spend my money. If this bill passes, it, it doesn't really fundamentally change anything. Like it's just they don't do scumbag shit. But all of my information will wind up in the same fucking place. Like I, it is like at this point, I seriously 
cannot look at this neutrino situation and think that it was done for any reason except this bill coming down the pipeline. Like Coinbase crawls up the regulators' asses trying to appease them with every stupid thing and has even gone so far as to create its own revolving door dynamic between regulators and people at the company. Like this is the only reason I can see why they would do this is to actually tie all of their information to what's going on in the blockchain to include that in the records that they hand over to the Californian government. Like this is like I, and I'm one of the people that literally has no practical option at this point, aside from just ridiculously complicating my financial life, because I depend on that shift card to actually fucking be able to pay my bills, to be able to eat. And even that is disappearing in, in a month. Like, <laughs> this is just fucked. Yeah, man, things are going to be getting more complicated. I was thinking about that, too. I mean, you know, we got the shift cards shutting down here in April. And I mean, uh, might as well just go ahead and cut that thing up with it and uh, with the delete Coinbase. I mean, uh, it's one of those where, yeah, I mean, you know, eventually you get thrown in the deep end and we got to swim. I mean, I, I don't know how it's going to manage exactly, but I mean, uh, we got to find a way because, you know, this is where our dollars are the vote. And uh, we got to take our dollars away from the system that's going to help uh, advance authoritarian regimes in a way that they would just love. And it's not something that we should be supportive of here in this country, in the United States, or if you believe in freedom around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also found it pretty interesting. Uh, I saw an employee from Coinbase who I'm not going to name because I made it a role that I would mainly focus my uh, rage on the upper management. But there was an employee at Coinbase who tweeted today that he was boycotting uh, United Airlines because his flight was late and they canceled it or something when he was traveling. And I thought that was hilarious because it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're boycotting an airline because you missed a flight, but none of you are seeming to have any sympathy for this boycott of your employer, even though they have done way worse than, you know, mess up your travel plans, but whatever. I couldn't even imagine the, I mean, like, that's where it's like, you're working with the enemy. It's almost like, you know, you're in the mob. How are you going to get out? It's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. So who, who did they recruit to try and distract from all of this uh, shit show, Janine? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was quite, Hilarious. I mean, I don't think there's that much to say about it, uh, except that there there's one big red flag that I think proves that the whole XRP slash Ripple listing was a distraction, um, not only because of the timing, but also because of the fact that they listed it at all in violation of their own digital asset framework. So on the 25th, which was two days ago, um, Coinbase Pro tweeted, when XRP, now, XRP USD, XRP Euro, and XRP BTC order books will soon enter transfer-only mode, except inbound transfers of XRP in supported regions. Orders cannot be placed or filled. Order books will be in transfer-only mode for a minimum of 12 hours. I don't even know why you'd bother putting all that shit in a tweet, but whatever. Anyway, they listed XRP. The XRP trolls went mad. 
It was hilarious though, because as far as I could tell, the price of Ripple did not really move at all. Um, I did see some tweets from, I don't know if they were real people or just bots, but they were accusing Coinbase of like ruining the listing event because of the neutrino stuff and what like we shouldn't put our xrp on coinbase if they're <laughs> working with neutrino so i am perfectly happy to ruin the day of both coinbase and ripple at the same time but i would like to point out that the fact that they listed ripple uh is in violation of the gdax digital asset framework um, if you go to the document listed in the show notes uh, and section 6.2 is about token sale structure, um, there's a part about team ownership and it says the ownership stake of the token or coin retained by the team must be a minority stake. There should be a lockup period and reasonable vesting schedule to ensure the team is economically incentivized to improve the network into the future. Now, Shinobi, who knows uh, how much of the stake of Ripple is controlled by the Ripple company or foundation or whatever it is? Oh, isn't it more like half or something like that? And didn't yeah. they pretty much just uh, spend years dumping it on the retail market until FinCEN find them for that? Yep. So that's certainly not a minority stake. So, um, you know, Coinbase, what's up? You just uh, broke your own rules here. But I mean, I'm not. I'm. I, you know, you're you're desperate right now, so I'm not really surprised you did that. I just want to point out you broke your own, your own rules. But it's not like you have any principles anyway. We've seen that pretty clearly over the past couple of days. Yeah, I think uh, you're right on the money as far as this just being like a an attempted distraction away from the uh, hacking team neutrino acquisition. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, we looked, I looked at the ripple price and yeah, it didn't really make that much of a move. I mean, it did make something, but it's back down. And I mean, Coinbase is just slowly working their way towards irrelevance. I mean, like, you know, just going against their own documents that they've drawn up to listing digital assets just to try and, I don't know, get some hype around something to where people can start supporting them. But I mean, their moves lately have just been all off. I mean, the uh, canceling the shift card and, uh, you know, getting people to earn Zcash by teaching them ways to not be private within the or within the system here. And, uh, you know, this neutrino hire it now the ripple listing, it's just been one bad piece after another. And uh, yeah, I mean, this all kind of just adds up to a really nasty picture as far as the way they're standing in the space right now. It's uh, it's not looking good for them. And, um, you know, unless they, I mean, immediately halt and reverse course and come out with some really good explanations, I, I don't see how they're going to turn this one around. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just hysterical in my mind, like when they waited to finally try and appease the ripple retard it's like oh shit we need to distract from this giant web of shit that's gonna be a stain on our brand i know all the ripple bots will help us <laughs> <laughs> yeah those guys uh they certainly serve a distraction on twitter but now i mean it is pretty comical that they even recognize like i don't know this is a good idea with this whole neutrino thing also, I just realized the funniest part about that, if they did use it as a distraction, um, I'm sure everybody remembers, I, I've seen it a number of times over the past two days, uh, an old tweet from Brian Armstrong where he said that 
uh, Ripple was a distraction and we should focus on Bitcoin. I don't remember the year that he tweeted that, but it was years ago. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Uh, so, so it's like it's like the inception of distraction, like layers and layers. <laughs> yeah, what was he tweeting the other day? Something about coming up with a uh, brand name and throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks or something. He's really just like, man, let's just start a conversation about anything other than what's going on right now because it is not looking good. Yeah, I, I believe what he, it was either yesterday or today, he, I believe he was tweeting about ice cubes in a very ahistorical way. Peter Todd actually corrected him and said that no, actually ice cubes were not expensive. But <laughs> yeah, he was trying to say the Egyptians didn't have ice cubes. How far we've come, come on, Brian? Get it. And it's like, and it's like, Brian, do you need some ice for that burn? Is that why you're talking about ice cubes? Oh man, yeah, it's a uh, yeah hashtag delete Coinbase. That thing's still going. This isn't going away, Brian and uh, Coinbase crew. So um, you know, we need some. Uh, some more information for sure. This isn't, I mean, we're about to see dollars vote and it's not going to look good. But uh, dollars are making a vote in another part of the world. What's going on with Jihan, man? So um, there are effectively just rumors at this point and nothing actually confirming it. But um, W1 from uh, Wheat Pond and primitive is claiming she's hearing from multiple places that jihan wu is leaving bitmain to start a new company with a primary focus on bcash <laughs> and so i i'm going to be very interested in seeing if this is actually true and it happens because it's you know, given how Bcash has completely dragged down Bitmain at this point and put it in a position where it's it's very likely impossible they move towards bankruptcy in the near term, that he, like, one, would want to try that again with a new company, but two, it, it also would kind of make sense for Bitmain in an attempt to survive to just kind of cut all of the dead weight associated with Bcash and let Jihan go off and actually handle that in, in a different company. And, you know, that could be as, as simple as literally Jihan just leaving and starting a new company, or it, it could be Bitmain effectively establishing a subsidiary and just shuffling all, all of the, the Bcash assets and operations over to that subsidiary. But you know, there's not really much here except the rumor, but if, if this actually happens, like, holy shit, is this going to be a priceless fucking popcorn moment? <laughs> For sure, man. I was just uh, looking at Twitter this morning. We got a little popcorn early. Did you see that uh, G the big blocker account said that Jihan followed Bernie Sanders for some reason? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Somebody's not happy about tariffs against China. Yeah, it uh, it definitely sounds like he's uh, making a move towards, I don't know, like you're saying, maybe a subsidiary doing a pivot. I mean, like he's already pretty much pivoted to Bcash, but now maybe he's going to just like, uh, you know, go full into some company that's all wrapped up in it. 
even though they, yeah. So uh, just going into the next one, because it looks like uh, this kind of story relates as far as, uh, you know, one of these mining companies kind of sensing the blood in the water with Bitmain. The, hard manu man the hardware manufacturer eBang has released plans to create at least 400,000 units in 2019. eBang is the third largest manufacturer after Bitmain and Canon, with a little over 9% of the global market share in the space. These guys sold around 159,000 units in 2017 and another and over 309,000 units in the first half of 2018, which netted the company a little over $2.1 billion. The company did see a dip in sales in the third quarter of uh, 2018, but they are uh, still looking to fill this annual order that they've come up with of 400,000 units. And yeah, like Bitmain, eBang is also trying to go public on the Hong Kong exchange. 8BTC reached out to the company for, co to, for comment to confirm their figures, and the co-founder responded that they are in a quiet period during which insiders are restricted from releasing new information around a potential IPO. Both uh, Bitmain and eBang have their IPOs applications currently listed as pending, while Canon has decided to let their application lapse. So it looks like the world of competitive mining is also getting competitive about going public, which uh, a lot of these those approvals have to do with uh, how the company looks in its infrastructure. And right now, like we're saying, I think almost any company in this space is looking a little bit like they're in a better position than Bitmain. So, uh, yeah, with, with the bad Bcash investment thesis and creating major losses and, you know, just the way we're seeing this internal restructuring, it just doesn't look good for the idea of trying to file an IPO. So, yeah, you think Bitmain's going to fall even further and eBang's going to be the first to get listed or how do you see this playing out? I don't see any of them getting listed with the general attitude we've seen from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And I mean, you know, as far as trying to ramp up production of machines i mean that's a really risky move on ebank's part i mean like if it blows up in their face it's not going to be anything close to what we've seen with bitmain just because of the differences in scales but like they're they're effectively trying to time the market here like if, if we don't see price recovery begin and you know start moving into a bull market or an uptrend like them trying to ramp up their i mean this is pretty much increasing their production by a third and if if we don't see the price start to change in a way that makes that profitable to run you know affordable for operations then they're going to wind up just sitting on extra hardware that's not going to sell or that's not going to really you know expand those profit margins and yeah i mean yeah i like i would like to see them actually time this right and come out ahead with the ability to keep growing but i like i'm just at the point where i do not see like any business in, in a retail facing market regarding miners getting to the scale of bitmain like i just don't see that as a viable business model like i I see things moving towards vertical integration from production all the way up to mining operation. And I don't think that we will ever see like the, the market function the way that it has over the last like four or five years. I don't think that retail machines being sold is going to be the majority of it going forward anymore. Like it's, it's just not, 
the whole dynamics of the market just don't make sense for that from where I'm standing. It, it just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, the mining ecosystem has certainly kind of evolved past that first stage of BitBank just running the game. And it does look like things are just going towards uh, moving into that major player role and, you know, people that are setting up huge mining farms with electric companies and, you know, government contracts. It does just seem to be the way this is going. And I guess that was kind of really the roadmap whenever you think about collateralizing cheap electricity around the world. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that creates a little bit of a barrier to entry for sure. But uh, I think that's got to do a lot with the global market and the macroeconomic picture. So I can kind of understand that. So uh, plus, like we're saying, I mean, like if they do time it right, I mean, we're not going to see it like, yeah, like it was before where there's one person leading. I mean, we've got Canon and, uh, you know, eBang, but also GMO and how long. And, uh, you know, there's lots of other guys that are kind of fighting uh, for the position. So it doesn't seem like that whole centralization risk is there, even though. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, switch switch over real quick to another major guy coming into the space, trying to change things, going back to uh, Samsung. So last episode, we covered the Samsung S10's new blockchain-enabled payments rumor and, well, not rumor, their announcement. However, there wasn't really much information to pull from that announcement other than it was going to be part of this new phone and it was going to keep your private keys in mind. Well, we got a few extra details coming out of the 2019 Mobile World Congress. Udi, once again, with the hair trigger on Twitter, posting this information out from The Verge, it's a uh, picture from the conference, and we can see that the wallet supports Bitcoin, Ethereum, Engine, and Cosmo. Bitcoin and Ethereum aren't really any surprise there, but Engine and Cosmo? Like uh, Kyle Torpy said in that thread, someone's got some bags to unload. So Engine made a wallet in the past, and now it looks like they're trying to, uh, yeah, they're using these ERC-1155s to create unique gaming assets, rare cards, scarce weapons, and mighty heroes. Then Cosmo token is used with the Cosme dApp to leave reviews on beauty products. It's uh, it's pretty laughable, but at this point, these shit coins are just gonna get tossed in with everything else. And so on the last episode, I kind of speculated that these currencies supported could get a boost from having a potential wallet in the next Samsung series. Well, it looks like that happened a little bit. It's uh, crazy to say this at this point in time, but, you know, like a, a, a Samsung wallet announcement for Bitcoin didn't do much. I mean, it didn't really have any effect. I mean, the flat line's still there from our recent move up and down. And Ethereum, surprisingly, was still cat bouncing during the news. And Engine and Cosmo, now they did get a pretty big little pump from the announcement. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some people unloaded some bags there. So, uh, yeah, there might be some people at Samsung who are very happy about that. I don't know. But now let's wait and see how this thing goes when it ships. I mean, these things might not necessarily be supported once the actual phone ships. I imagine we might see the list of supported assets change a bit, but I don't know. It kind of might depend on country to country. What do you guys think about this, uh, this, you know, picture from the Mobile World Congress and Engine and Cosmo Coin? I have never heard of either of those shit coins ever before. And I can't think of any reason Samsung would integrate those into their wallet except getting paid to do so. <laughs> like that is just like, what? 
You don't think we need censorship resistant beauty reviews, dude? Come on. No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very laughable. But yeah, I mean, I didn't hear of them either. And that's where it's like, I'm sure somebody unloaded some bags. Like what the what the fuck? I don't know. But centralized beauty product reviews. <laughs> Yeah, and let's see how rare and unique these uh, collectibles are in this ERC-1155 because, uh, I don't know, these ERC contracts, they have a way about screwing up on you without without really knowing where it's coming from. But, uh, yeah, so that's how Samsung's going to handle your private keys. Look what's going on with Koinami, though. It sounds like they've got been uh, screwy with your private keys. Janine, were you going to take us through this Koinami vulnerability? Yeah, so um, let me find it really quick. Um, a guy named Warith shared a very long post on Reddit today uh, claiming that the Coinami wallet sends your mnemonic seed to Google's remote spell checker API. And this part of the story appears to have been confirmed um, by Luke Childs on Twitter, who provided a video as proof, although there is a bit of contention over whether that's seed was being sent over plain text and therefore was vulnerable to a man in the middle attack or uh, whether it was actually encrypted and it was just the way it showed up on the video um, made it appear as if it was in plain text. Either way, uh, that appears to be happening and that's a really stupid and negligent vulnerability to have in a wallet, but it doesn't surprise me because the Koinami wallet is closed source and I don't have very high expectations for closed source stuff. Um, now there are two parts to this story because there's one which is the security vulnerability. The other is uh, a debate that's been ongoing for the past day um, over whether that vulnerability contributed to Warith losing sixty to seventy thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. I believe it was Bitcoin. Let me check really quickly. I, th I think it was a few different tokens. Yeah. I let me see. He just says cryptocurrency, so I'm not at the top of it. He might have listed them somewhere. But anyway, cryptocurrency, so I assume Bitcoin, a bunch of stuff, whatever Coinami supports. Um, yeah, anyway, so sixty to $70,000 was lost from his desktop wallet, which apparently he was using a Windows machine. And there's a lot of debate in this Reddit thread, which is linked in the um, description. Um, and there's some people who posted some credible links regarding past incidents where Google employees took advantage of their privileged privilege positions uh, to violate privacy of their users and target them and such. So obviously that's possible, um, but most people seem to think that the more likely explanation is that his Windows machine was probably compromised, um, not that a Google employee stole it uh, or knew that that API was being used for that purpose. Although, like I said, if if it really was sending to the API, it's entirely possible. Maybe there is a rogue employee, but most likely it was probably that his Windows machine was compromised in some way or it was the wallet was specifically compromised in some way. Um, Warath alleges in his report uh, that he thinks Google stole it. 
um, claiming that the funds left his Coinami wallet on the 19th of February, and I think he entered his passphrase into the wallet, which would have sent the seed to the Google API on the 14th. Um, so it would have been about five days difference. The one thing, the one detail that was interesting to me, though, is where he says, quote, my crypto assets were stolen on the 19th of February 2019, starting at 3.30 a.m. UTC, and the transactions continued for 15 minutes. At the end, 90% of the assets were gone, and remaining assets were only left because these assets were supported by Exodus wallet and not the Koinami wallet. What a coincidence, you say. So if he's implying that he had both an Exodus wallet and a Koinami wallet on his Windows desktop machine, and they both had funds, but the funds were only taken out of the Koinami wallet and not the Exodus wallet, then either, you know, I mean, that could still be that whoever attacked his Windows machine, maybe they just, maybe they just focused on one wallet and they didn't bother to go after the second one because they might have figured, well, that might be a bigger risk to try to do two at the same time. I don't know. Um, but that that kind of thing would suggest that it might be a Koinami problem specifically. Um, and obviously the code is, as far as I'm aware, their wallet is still closed source. So uh, I don't know how we would ever find out whether it has other vulnerabilities that might be even more severe than sending seed, uh, mnemonic seeds to the Google API for spell checking, which is like weird. How does that even come up? Um, yeah, or why wouldn't you block against that? It seems like a pretty standard thing that you would try to try to prevent in a wallet is to not reveal the seed. That's like your number one job. So yeah, it's. I would say this story is still developing, and there's a lot of unclear details and a, you know debate about whether it's Google or whether it's Windows or whether it's the wallet's fault. Um, he is. Uh, he has reported this obviously to to Koinami and. Uh, based on his report of his experience, they have not been very helpful. Um, so that sucks because he lost tens of thousands of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. But yeah, this either way, you know, regardless of how this happened, this is a reminder that you should not be storing that much cryptocurrency on a desktop machine, especially one that is a Windows machine. Uh, either way, you, you just shouldn't be doing that because, you know, whatever vulnerabilities there may be in harder wallets, uh, this kind of thing, it's it's still a lot harder for it to happen with a hardware wallet because that's a separate device that has a more isolated attack surface, um, whereas your Windows machine does, you know, does so many so much so many things that we don't really know about, and so many people have access to. The data on your machine with Windows, um, you're transferring a lot of data. So yeah, don't use Windows. Use something else other than a desktop wallet for that much money. I think you know personally, the most interesting thing about this story was buried in his interactions with Coinami, where they um, pretty much said that they have a partnership with Chainalysis and actually took advantage of that partnership to have the coins stolen from this guy's wallet added to one of their blacklists. So yeah, um, aside from the horrible security design, not encrypting your word seed and all of that, 
um, you shouldn't be using Coinami because it queries all of their nodes to check your balances and shit. And they're apparently in an active partnership with a chain analytics company. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Sounds like straight up theft. I mean, like, jeez, uh, man, this is where it's like all this stuff going on in the background with your data so easily surveillable in this space is just uh, not a good thing. I mean, yeah, maybe you're one of these people that doesn't quite understand that you're so vulnerable yet and you start messing around with some of these wallets and they expose your seed on the screen. And next thing you know, your seed's been taken and uh, those Bitcoins are somewhere else. And yeah, I mean, just, you know, cold card, uh, Trezor, you know, these guys, they, uh, they do it a little bit differently, you know, and it's a lot more secure and, yeah, it's just crazy to think that they would have that going through a spell check at Google. And I mean, like, you know, they can lay the blame on set, try to push the blame on Windows or or uh, Google. But I mean, you know, partnership with Chainalysis and blacklisting the address after they're gone. That just that just sounds like some straight up bad acting, like uh, take the coins and blacklist them. What's he going to do? I mean, like this is the fear of like uh, the bit license and you start having these people just really control what you're uh, how you're routing these things around i mean yeah it's uh it's upsetting but there's ways to, to around this another one is for sure just understanding that you don't want to keep too much in a wallet that's on your desktop or your mobile phone i mean for them that's why cold storage is available and that's where that those sort of funds should go mm -hmm. and most importantly take very good care in what wallet you're using because if you're not running a full node, it's using somebody else's node to gather all of your balance data. And as this issue shows, well, some wallet providers out there actively partner with chain analytics companies. So who the fuck knows where that data is going if you're not connecting to a node of somebody who's actually trustworthy and actually has a way to make money and sustain their software development without just treating your private information like a commodity to sell. Yeah, it's uh, really aggravating whenever it's like they're still playing that profit incentive of like, it's all about just getting the data of the person and trying to sell them stuff and manipulate their, you know, their ability to do things. And it's just so anti Bitcoin, anti free market, anti American. It's yeah terrible by the way while we're still on the subject of uh, shitty wallets um in one of the delete coinbase uh responses someone just tweeted that they're unable to close their coinbase account because uh apparently they won't let you if you still have balance and unfortunately they have a balance that is too small in litecoin to transfer anywhere according to coinbase so he's basically stuck and not able to close his account <laughs> so udi is now trying to get people to like use the the email to email feature that coinbase has to send you know like have a large amount of people who are in a similar situation to send it to someone else and then they can close their accounts but yeah that's pretty shitty Alrighty, so I guess uh, time to move along. Yeah, let's like, uh, you know, we're doing a little self-censorship in the space. What's going on here? 
Yeah, so yet another thing that irritates the shit out of me with the Lightning Network torch. Um, people seem very unwilling to take the censorship-resistant money that can't be stopped and send it somewhere that people are trying to stop. Um, a Bitcoiner named Zaya in uh, Iran has been trying to get the Lightning Torch for a bit now. And everybody seems to just be actively ignoring him and refusing to send him the Lightning Torch. So, yeah, I mean, what we have going on here is pretty much just self-censorship and people not actually using this, this technology that enables you to send money without somebody gating places or people off to actually do that. And it, it, it's really fucking, like, sad and, and disappointing. You know, it's the, the whole point of, of Bitcoin, of, of all of this shit we're building, is to enable people who are closed off from global finance to actually interact with it. And everybody just seems too scared to actually do that. Like, what the fuck? Like, what, what the hell are we doing here if we're not going to actually use this for what it's for? Yeah, I don't know, man. The Ellen uh, trust chain, I mean, it's kind of become a marketing thing. And I get it, you know, trying to get people excited about the Lightning Network. But this really did kind of bring out an exemplary, like, fact of, like, look, even though this technology is censorship resistant, it's hard to put yourself in that position where you think you're actually doing something illegal. And these people, you know, they're frightened to do that. And, um, you know, I can understand that position, but it certainly does show like this, uh, this just like, like how much are we really fighting this system? And like, how much are we building this out to, to adequately fight the system? And I mean, I think a lot of people still have their hangups on, you know, doing these uh, sort of transactions that possibly, you know, falter on like some sanctions that are out there. And uh, I can understand it, but it certainly does sort of just like shine a light on a problem that we have that uh, we need to work to resolve to where, you know, this is where coin joins and, you know, getting these things set to where people start to recognize that the chain analysis and blacklisting addresses is not going to work. And, just going to have to educate and get people understanding that technologically, like if they brought that to a court of law, it's not really going to be uh, easily provable if we take the correct steps. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of us uh, who actually have some balls uh, decided we're going to do something to deal with this. So in response to this uh, cucky self-censorship, with the Lightning Network torch, um, an on-chain uh, Paynim or BIP47 torch has begun, which uh, made its first stop through Iran. And so this is a demonstration um, of something a little more core to the philosophy of Bitcoin, not asking people permission for shit. And so in interest of this, um, this is being organized a little bit differently than the Lightning Torch. Um, you can check the two uh, tweets in the show notes for this. But effectively, I started a thread 
And people should go on there with their samurai wallet and drop their pain in in response to one of the tweets in the thread. But this is going to be coordinated completely differently than the lightning torch. We are not going to announce publicly that we have the torch when we have it. We are not going to publicly announce that we passed it on to somebody when we passed it on. Simply drop your pain in in response to one of these tweets in this thread. And if you do get the torch, go there and look for paynims of people that you trust. If you need to contact them, do so in private, preferably over an encrypted channel, and pass the torch on to them. We are going to use this to show that it is possible to publicly coordinate passing this around without actually revealing who has it publicly or where it's going publicly. In one of the last tweets in this thread, I dropped the transaction of me passing the torch on to the next person, who I will not reveal publicly. And at this point, you can start with this transaction and watch the one output in mine move on. It should incrementally increase by 0.001 Bitcoin every time the torch is passed on. And you can watch it move on chain. You can verify that it is continuing to pass on by watching for the output that increases by 0 0.001 in every transaction from the one that I've listed where I passed it on. And yeah, we can shuffle this around. <clears throat> I, the person who has it can pass it only to somebody they trust, who can pass it to somebody only they trust. And the exact same kind of trust line can be established without anybody actually having any clue in the greater public who currently has the torch, where it's being passed to. The only person who knows who has it is the person who has it. And whoever they send it to, if they choose to actually say, hey, I'm doing this. And we can effectively create what, what it, what's pretty much functioning is onion routing. All you know is where it came from, where it's going. You don't know after that. You don't know who has it. You don't know who has had it unless you gave it to them or they gave it to you. And we're going to actually demonstrate Bitcoin can be used for what it was fucking meant for. Sending the transactions that they don't want you to send without asking fucking permission, without caring if somebody tells you you can't send it there or you can't send it to that person. Because that is what Bitcoin is actually fucking about. Yeah, what I really like about it is especially the plausible deniability with the way you had people just respond to a thread and then say, well, if you want to get it, then return to this thread, find a pain in, and then, you know, like you said, no one knows if you have it except for the person who sent it to you. Uh, which I really like because with the lightning thing, you know, Everyone knows who has the torch at any given moment, Be not only because they're tweeting a lot about it, but, you know, it, there's this whole fanfare around it. Um, but obviously it's very organized and I get that there's a marketing angle. And I mean, you should know, but you've gone over that it's not really a legitimate test of liquidity. Um, and we've already seen, I think, Harvard, the Harvard Business School Crypto Club or whatever failed uh, recently because they were at a conference and apparently they weren't even talking about Bitcoin at that conference and everyone got super pissed at them because they like delayed the passing of the torch for 
a while, but I like this a lot better because, I mean, not only is it not about the fanfare, it's about, like you said, making the transactions that people are trying to say we shouldn't make, even though in reality, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the transactions we're making. It's just a stupid rule uh, by a stupid government who thinks that, you know, they're going to change the world by saying you can't transact with these people, even though they've done nothing wrong and don't deserve to be, you know, basically exiled from the world economy. That's just disgusting. Like that should be condemned, not some people passing around a small amount of Bitcoin on, you know, a paid trust network. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, the goal is pretty much to pass this around until it's gotten to 0.3 Bitcoin. And at that point, donate it to a charity. Um, I think the the one uh, Laurent was looking at was one of the Venezuelan charities that's, um, you know, helping feed people or actually build Bitcoin infrastructure down there. Yeah, actually, I think that one he's going to try and send to reporters without borders because of the, you know, the censorship resistant aspect. And I think that is where, yeah, Bit47, Paynim, Torch, I like that. What's going on with the Torch marketing, man? I've been seeing torches everywhere, like the the dye torch, the, this, this torch. It's like everybody's got a torch, but, you know, this one actually is proving something. You know, you can create an anonymity set and uh, people aren't going to be able to actually trans these track these transactions and yeah it does show the power of bitcoin and uh you know if i have a friend in uh, iran who's uh you know a resident or visiting i, I don't want to live in fear that sending them a little string of code from the us to over there to help them out is going to get me in trouble and it takes these sorts of tests to really yeah you know put the thing to the test to see uh you know how exactly this is all going to work and you know, I saw uh, somebody in the chat, I think it was Vladdy uh, talking about, you know, I need to learn how to use a Paynim. Well, this is a good place to start. Go down to your Samurai wallet, you know, post your name in the thread. Let's increase that anonymity set. Yeah, and I think uh, another suggestion, I mean, I don't know if it's been solidified who it will be donated to in the end, but I would also suggest uh, the open privacy project that Sarah Jamie Lewis is doing because she actually, ex I, as far as I could tell, I think she accepts Bitcoin directly. Like she doesn't use one of these stupid, uh, you know, payment, uh, merchant payment systems where it automatically converts it. I, I'll check right now to make sure. But um, I would suggest that as well as an alternative if, if not the Venezuela one or the Reporters Without Borders. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... We'll have to go. I mean, it's uh, you can communicate there in uh, back channels or wherever, and we'll see uh, where it goes because there's a lot of people that could use the help. All right, uh, let's continue on and uh, talking about censoring here. Let's get into another bank account being censored. It's okay. So we reported last month that Bitcoin Mom has taken ownership of a couple local dispensaries here in Colorado. And we even touched on their first Bitcoin transaction where I was fortunate enough to participate. Well, now in a move that isn't too surprising, but upsetting none the least, Bitcoin Mom's business bank account was shut down on Friday, even though they still have all the correct legalese to operate here in Colorado, as well as being you know accredited investors with an excellent credit rating. 
This didn't stop the banks from shutting down and censoring their bank account from not wanting to operate with the cannabis company with a cannabis company since they see the medicine through the same lens as the federal government as being a schedule one drug. And that's the same scheduling as heroin, meth and cocaine. And we could argue about the drug war and how it's, uh, you know, a blight against human freedom. But, you know, the medical properties of cannabis can't really be it really can't be ignored. This is a medicine that I found great freedom in having access to. First of all, it allowed me to get off a very powerful anti-seizure medication given to epileptics even with its heavy side effects that conflicted with my diagnosis of having stress-induced seizures. Then last year, I dislocated my finger and shoulder. I didn't seek help from a long line of medical bills that could end up with a deadly addiction of painkillers. I just went to the dispensary and picked up some powerful edibles and topicals to help with the pain. Slowly, I got better, and it didn't require any prescription or adverse health risk. So people might still have their hangups based on stigmas from the past, but it's time to wake up and see it, see this for what it is. And that's medication that could help millions of people who either don't have access to the current system or don't want to participate in a system that's proven to care more about their profit margin than their health. Now, back to the problem at hand, it's hard to see this news and not think about our recent reporting with the Wyoming bill passing to help banks avoid Operation Choke Point. Operation Choke Point was put together under Eric Holder and the Department of Justice to create an easy way to shut down businesses they didn't see as politically correct. They did this using the FDIC and threats of banks losing their charter to operate. Even though this practice is said to have ended back in August of 2017, just recently letters from senators around the country wrote the FDIC to say the effects from this campaign are still lingering. Bitcoin Mom said in a follow-up to her thread on the topic, quote, Phil Feel bad for the bank employee who had to call and tell me they were closing our account. He was very sweet and explained that their bank charter cannot allow any accounts to touch the cannabis industry. Close quote. Here's yet another example of banks censoring people who are trying to work and build in healthy competitive market in a healthy competitive marketplace, all because of the lingering effects of political correctness. Well, luckily here in Colorado, there are some forward thinking banks and luckily Bitcoin Mom's Cannabis Company has an account set up there to prevent any operational downtime during this uh, hiccup. So the dispensaries are still running and open for business because of these uh, people who have formed networks to route around these problems. Now with Bitcoin, it gives us another option to create some closed loop economies within the industry. Everyone in the state knows that the cannabis market is a boom for Colorado's economy, and in all likelihood, these problems will be handled at a state level. I'll mention again that we have a newly elected governor who is friendly to both crypto and the cannabis market. I still believe we'll see heavy use of crypto in dispensaries once it becomes a lot easier for anyone to quickly buy and use Bitcoin for the discount. Right now, things are moving at a steady pace, but it should pick up really quickly when we start to see more ATMs in the area and easy to use points of sales. We know that these technologies are on the boundary of being available, and we've even seen the Zap point of sale expo recently in Chicago. The cannabis industry is a powerful emerging market that shares a similar history with Bitcoin. They're both around 10 years old and face negative stigmas but their efficiencies can't be ignored. And I'm really hopeful that here in Colorado, we'll see these markets converge and be a very powerful force for the economy. So, you know, this is just a, another story about banks, you know, just going in to censor a market that they're not pleased with and, um, you know, kind of relates with Bitcoin and everything that we're working on here. So uh, do you guys have any comment on this story?
Yeah, I mean, this is pretty fucked up. I mean, <laughs> like, there's really no reason at this point for this kind of shit to be going on except just antiquated federal bullshit. And, like, I can imagine this is going to cause a shit ton or a shit ton of problems for this business. Like, now I'm assuming they can only accept Bitcoin in cash. And they're now subject to the same kind of risks as most businesses in that area. Like they have to sit on a giant pile of cash, which is a security risk, a risk to their business and their well-being. And like as much as I would love, you know, Bitcoin to just magically swoop in and fix this problem, like not enough people own it. Like that that's not a viable thing at this time for a business like this to just go completely Bitcoin only. Like most of their customers don't have any. It would be a big hassle and a friction for most of their customers. And, you know, I'm happy that there's a lot of credit unions and banks that just operate within Colorado. Like I saw um, she's looking into getting an account at one of these and is on a waiting list for this right now. But like this is still going to be a hiccup in, in her business. Like anybody not coming in to pay with Bitcoin or cash, like they're, they're going to have to deal with that issue now. Like they might potentially lose customers because of that. Well, yeah, if uh, luckily that they, uh, they already have an account on that where there is like 120 people on that waiting list. I mean, uh, you know, this uh, dispensary has been around for a while and I think they've formulated those relationships a while back, but it does like, it is one of these where it's like I see people in the discussions on cannabis still where I see people talking about how this is just for losers who want to get high and waste their day away. And I don't think those people have the correct perspective on people dealing with really tough situations. That is a really hard way to find their way out of whenever everybody's leading them to directions that are not exactly the healthiest route for them. That happened to me for eight years. And I'd really like it if we could see some of that stigma break within our own space where people are a little bit more understanding of the fact that this is a medicine. And if you just consider it something that people are using to abuse similar to alcohol, you're overlooking a, a major benefit towards uh, the general public. I mean, there's, there's a what's the right answer for how exactly everybody gets access to health care and how exactly people are going to be able to stand up and take care of themselves. I mean, I'm legitimately in the belief that that is with Bitcoin and, and cannabis. I mean, those two alone can solve a lot of problems. I mean, there's definitely not a lot of problems. I mean, there's still problems there that that doesn't solve. But I mean, that helps a lot of people that don't have access. All right. Janine, did you have any comment on cannabis market censorship? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, sorry. Um, yeah, it really sucks. And this is why like part, I mean, I've, I've never done drugs, but um, this is part of the reason why I hate any time I've had to use a, a bank card or anything just because I'm always, I always have a fear that it's going to get blocked. And so it's like nerve wracking every time I use it. And I think, oh, what happens if it fails? Am I going to get stuck here? Am I going to have to like come back another time to get what I need or blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's such a pain in the ass that these people can just like arbitrarily make decisions to cut you off just because of 
what you're doing, even though it's like not violating anyone's rights and it's legal in your state and like there should be a problem with it. But for some reason there is because the United States is a uh, very big stitched together mat mess of legal regulations. And even though I haven't done anything that would be subject to that kind of scrutiny, um, I definitely, I have that fear and there's a lot of people who don't and I don't understand how they go through their daily life not worrying about that because it's a worry that I have all the time, even though I'm not doing anything that should be causing, you know, me to be looked at extra closely. Yeah, it's a uh, fear is just being censored. And, you know, that's where it's like I give everybody a lot of credence here in uh, Colorado. It's one of the reasons I moved here was because they were the first to legalize it and take that step. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at the building out of the way this whole country's going, I kind of thought, well, maybe they'll be favorable to Bitcoin, too. And uh, it looks like things are kind of going that direction. You just got to stick with it, make sure they don't make a Colorado bit license. <laughs> All right, let's uh, keep moving on. We got a little bit of a announcement. So, well, it's been a little bit since we talked about the Bitfinex hack, but we got a little update on the situation Tuesday from Bitfinex. They tweeted out, quote, it gives us great pleasure to report we have received Bitcoins from the U.S. government that were, proce that were proceeds of the 2016 security breach. In line with our original recovery plan, this is being converted to USD and paid to RRT holders. Now, RRT stands for the, uh, that's, yeah, that's the announcement. So now RRT stands for Recovery Rights Token, and it serves as shares of the capital stock iFinex Incorporated. After the hack, they created the BFX token, which eventually paid back the users who had a haircut in one way or another. And well, shortly after that, the BFX tokens were burned and anyone who wanted to recover rights had to transfer over to this RRT token. Here's what... Bitfinex, Bitfinex had to say in their statement, quote, since the well-documented hack in 2016, Bitfinex has collaborated, collaborated with the international law enforcement agencies to provide intelligence and assist with investigations. Bitfinex was alerted in November 2018 that the U.S. government had obtained Bitcoins believed to be proceeds from the 2016 hack. Bitfinex has now retrieved 27.7 BTC and... Further to the recovery strategy outlined in the aftermath of the hack, this is being converted to USD and paid to recovery right token holders. And uh, yeah, so the chief financial officer at Bitfinex uh, also uh, had this to say. He says, uh, we will continue to assist law enforcement with their inquiries and also once again extend an open invitation to the hackers or anyone harboring information pertaining to the breach to make contact in whichever medium they feel most secure with to finally resolve the situation in a mutually beneficial manner, close quote. All right, so that's what Bitfinex had to say. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll get another Bruce Wanker video out of the deal. But uh, did you guys have any comment on these uh, Bitfinex funds coming from the U.S. government? Oh my golly gee, we got like 27 Bitcoin back out of the 120,000? I'm going to steal somebody else's joke. This is a shining example of government efficiency, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think you got that right. 27 out of, what did you say, 100 and something thousand? 120,000. 
Oh my lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like this, I find it hysterical that Finex is tweeting about this, that they're issuing a blog post about this, that this is being covered. It's like you did not even get like a thousandth of a percent of the stolen coins back. You never are. It's not going to happen. They're gone. They're never coming back. They're going to sit there until Bitcoin is a widely adopted means of transacting all over the world. And they're just going to get used. Like those coins are never coming back. And it's just, it's ridiculous, like posturing, like we're doing something about this. Like, no, you're not. You can't. <laughs> There's literally nothing you can do. You're never going to get those coins back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I'm saying, I mean, maybe they'll get a response from Bruce Wanker's uh, YouTube account. I think that would be comical, but I highly doubt it. I mean, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think they're gone. I don't know if they'll ever be back until, yeah, it's a widely accepted currency and it'll just get spent. Janine, did you have anything to say about Bitfinex and the U.S. government in, their, in this Weasley amount of Bitcoin they recovered? No, it's uh, just I would be interested to figure out where it came from. Yeah, that was uh, something I was thinking the whole time, too. It was just like, okay, y'all guys recovered this, and uh, how exactly, who had it, and uh, all that information. I guess we don't get that. Maybe uh, maybe we'll just have to wait till later. We'll see if something happens out of that. All right. Yeah, probably a dark neck or a dark nut buster something criminal like if 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 this was like somebody dropping them on an exchange with their id like there would be a lot more news coming of this because it would probably be a lead in a suspect yeah that might be a good guess right there because uh yeah i mean the way that all went down you think it would be pretty big news if they had some substantial lead but if there's not any comments here we could go into venezuela all right. So I saw this New York Times article making its way around Twitter, but I didn't have time to sit down and read it until the other night. It's a great little piece that puts together the human case for Bitcoin in Venezuela. People in our space regularly talk about moons and Lambos. And here, you know, at the Digest, we do our best to avoid that type of talk. But it's not often we see a mainstream publication take the time to spell out how Bitcoin is helping people in dire situations. It, New York Times covers the daily lives of people trying to survive in an uncertain economic climate. The inflation rate in Venezuela was 1.7 million percent in 2018 and has a daily inflation rate of 3.5 percent. They tell their stories of selling bitcoins and running to the store to make a purchase for what they need. They aren't always lucky in their search and sometimes they can only grab what's available in fear of the diminished value the following day. The article tells the story of someone running off to buy milk only to visit 20 separate stores to no avail. Eventually, the person decides to purchase what they can, which on that day was just some cheese. They also go on to tell the story of a graphic designer in Venezuela who couldn't be paid through normal avenues because of the sanctions imposed on them. They were able to accept Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and saved up enough money to escape to neighboring Colombia. 
The person also managed to smuggle his savings past the border guards who are notorious for shakedowns because he was using Bitcoin. Now, unfortunately, things in Colombia aren't much better than Venezuela and the artist is having to move back home. But fortunately, he has Bitcoin and can still afford to move back home. Latin American countries have been facing the specter of hyperinflation for a long time now, and countries like Venezuela, Colombia, Peru, and Argentina are all seeing high levels of volume on local Bitcoins. It's a story we keep coming back to because the situation is making Bitcoiners out of these Latin American countrymen and women. A lot of people in Bitcoin keep their eyes glued to the price, but it's good to see Bitcoin is doing what it was intended to do, help people stand up for themselves in a time of economic uncertainty. I don't get to say this often, but we actually have some good reporting from the New York Times. If you have uh, family or loved ones who still don't see how Bitcoin can help people, I'd recommend sending this article their way. It might help them see what we're trying to accomplish here. Did you guys uh, manage to get a look at this Times piece? I know we've been busy lately. I didn't really have the time to look at it. Just like glance really quick. But, you know, it is a good thing to see stuff like this because all you really see is like in terms of most mainstream coverage is it's just a bubble that uh, a few geeks are getting rich off of or it's 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 the terrorists and the drug dealers using it and i mean this kind of thing it like goes to show that actual positive side of bitcoin like this is something that you can't close people out of you can't like shut down this is something that people who really need access to these types of services who can't get it anywhere else can turn to bitcoin like it's actually it's showing people what bitcoin actually does and what it's for instead of just the typical fear-mongering horseshit and like no matter how much you you see like that dominate the mainstream media when people see things like this like stuff like that makes people stop and think it makes them reassess their attitude as opposed to just dismissing it as a Ponzi scheme or something that criminals use. Like it's a concrete, undeniable example of how it's actually helping normal people. Absolutely. I mean, this is where, uh, you know, this Venezuela story, I know it keeps popping back up, but I mean, this is just, uh, you know, these are the people that really need Bitcoin the most and we're seeing it uh, play out to where people are actually taking advantage of the fact that this new technology is available to them. Janine, do you have any comment on this uh, Venezuela story? Uh, no, I just saw, I think I saw an update that all of the all of the boulevards were removed from the mural. Ah, yes, you're jumping ahead, but that's oh, okay. I am. Let's Damn just it. get right Sorry. to it. No, it's all right. <laughs> they kind of ran right together. So we know there's a lot of people suffering down there in Venezuela, that's what we're talking about. And we've seen campaigns from various groups trying to help out the country. I got to give it to Crypto Graffiti, though, for traveling down there to the Colombia-Venezuela border and doing a live art project to try and raise funds to help the Venezuelan people. Crypto Graffiti told Coindesk, quote, after reciting the tired, maybe it doesn't apply directly to you, but Bitcoin is important in authoritarian, authoritarian regimes, like line one too many times, I wanted to contribute and experience the situation firsthand, close quote. So on the border, he created a 10 foot by 11 foot mural of Nicolas Maduro of Venezuelan boulevards. 
One by one, the currency came down with donations made through a neat implementation of BTC Pay Server built by Jan Pritzker or at SKWP on Twitter. It's an interactive piece where people could select a currency note to be taken down and make a, make a donation. Once the donation went through, the Maduro note was removed. Once all the donations were taken in and the mural was gone, Crypto Graffiti is going to send one of those notes to the highest donor and another chosen at random between all the donors. In the background, he worked with AirTM and Crypto Concierge to help with the distribution and education. And 50% uh, of the donations will be added to an ongoing fundraiser called Air, hashtag Airdrop Venezuela and should go to more than 100,000 Venezuelans in April. The other 50% will go towards rebuilding facilities for a nonprofit organization providing daycare services to families displaced by the crisis. During the event, people were on hand to help educate individuals and merchants on how to use cryptocurrencies. It's a terrible situation down there, and it's really great to see the community rally behind them. Crypto Graffiti had this to say after being on the ground, quote, people are using it to steer clear of hyperinflation, but also to escape with their money. All of the stuff we talk about as possibilities for crypto, it's happening right now, close quote. Airdrop Venezuela has surpassed their $10,000 goal and it should be it should go to a great cause. We'll keep our eye on the news and do a follow up in April when those funds are supposed to be distributed. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting little art installation to help uh, raise funds for people suffering over there. And uh, yeah, I got to give crypto graffiti credit for going right where the battle line is and, uh, you know, doing something good for the space. Mm -hmm. You know, things like this really show like what people can accomplish when you start removing like barriers to actually coordinating things, you know, like shit like this. This is why I don't think we need the kind of welfare states and benefits that exist in most developed countries. Like you don't need them because when people are actually suffering or dealing with real problems and not just trying to live off of other people like a parasite because they don't want to work or put in the effort to actually take care of themselves people step up and help and i know like a lot of people listening probably aren't going to like to hear this but organized religion through human history is a perfect example of that like before there were governments giving benefits to people before there were nonprofit organizations like what do you think churches did they helped their communities that's what they were there for the church was the safety net the community held up the church the community held up each other that's what people do when somebody is actually suffering or actually going through hard times people help each other and you know things like this just go to show the massive global scale that that can grow to when you get rid of all the bullshit that puts up walls in between it people step up and help each other yeah i think i'd agree with that i mean uh you know the church has kind of taken off on different directions and everything but that was what it initially was for. And, um, you know, you still see little communities niche together that still do that sort of thing. 
And uh, without a doubt, I think if we had more access to, you know, people being able to easily participate in voluntary solutions that solve some of these problems and they know their funds are going to go to help the people they want to, I think we would see a lot more of these uh, NGOs and like, you know, these uh, nonprofit organizations and charities that, you know, try to help but are always sort of caught doing something behind the scenes with people's funding. I mean, like, you know, we could put a stop to that sort of bad practice and people could actually come together and know that they're helping, you know, people that need it. And uh, yeah, I think I'm in agreement there with you that that sort of thing could happen whenever we uh, all sort of participate in the system. Mm -hmm. So I guess, uh, Janine, you got anything left on this? just think it's a really awesome art project. I like Crypto Graffiti's work because he, like not only how he builds his pieces, but I've seen him do a number of interactive stuff and it's really cool. Yeah, he does some great stuff. Alrighty. Well, <clears throat> last up then. Um, what I hope is the last update from what's going on in India, but you know, a quick recap um, of just the general history of the issue. Uh, in April last year, the RBI in India issued a circular banning banks and regulated entities from dealing with cryptocurrency businesses. And since then, a number of cryptocurrency companies have been actively trying to get the Supreme Court to strike down the circular based on the arguments in the Indian constitution, there is a right enshrined of a citizen to practice any profession, occupation, trade, or business. And as well, prior to this, a number of people in the space in 2017 um, filed a petition in the Supreme Court um, specifically asking for input from the government and the RBI to clarify regulations on the cryptocurrency space and these two cases have been playing out for the last year or so or two years respectively with the indian supreme court effectively leaving the circular in place and consistently looking for clarification from the government on how it actually handled or wants to handle regulation of the ecosystem with most of what's coming out of the group they established to propose something being very anti-crypto, you know, leaning towards either outright banning the use and ownership of private cryptocurrencies or moving to pretty much restrict absolutely anything except owning them, excluding any ability to actually transact with them and attempt to carve out exemptions for a national cryptocurrency established by the Reserve Bank of India and the Indian government. <clears throat> well, uh, as of February 25th, um, pretty much the Supreme Court, um, headed by two justices at uh, this hearing, have given India four weeks to actually put forth some clarification and proposal for regulations. And they also refused to hear any more arguments during this hearing against the current RBI circular. 
And if nothing is put forward in four weeks, the court is going to unilaterally make a ruling and decide for themselves. So at this point, like this is, this seems effectively like the final straw, where if the government does not step up and actually put together some kind of proposal for a framework, the court is going to take matters into their own hands and issue a unilateral ruling themselves. And one way or another, you know, I hope that this actually creates some kind of finality instead of perpetuating this limbo in terms of legality and regulatory clarity that all of the businesses and people interacting in the ecosystem have been dealing with for close to a year now. And as well as this kind of ultimatum from the Supreme Court, there has recently been an active organization of uh, Bitcoiners and cryptocurrency holders all across India to attempt to effectively crowdsource some kind of policy or framework proposals to present with the government in an effort to actually establish something with the input of people actually using and owning cryptocurrencies instead of uh, effectively allowing the government to decide things in a vacuum in a very damaging way, which is what all of the, the leaks and comments that have come out so far seem to indicate they're doing. <clears throat> so hopefully, you know, this, this matter can be put to rest once and for all and actually create some kind of clarity for people in India, whether that is the ability to actually operate businesses and use this technology or simply clarity that it is illegal so that people can start deciding how they are going to choose to interact in this ecosystem in this way. Yeah, I mean, I hope that we actually see some finality on this too. I mean, I know that, yeah, everybody in India has been there in limbo just wondering, like, uh, what can they do? I mean, we've seen uh, the Uno coin guy, uh, you know, try and start up an ATM and then that led to some trouble and you know, this uh, pushback and this uh, idea of crowdsourcing, you know, the policy, that's a great idea. And, you know, I hope that has an effect and that the court will just uh, determine it and define what's going on here so that, yeah, like people just have some regulatory clarity about whether or not they should be incorporating their business in another country or, you know, sticking around to try and build out what's going on there in India. I mean, uh, this is, uh, you know, a little bit harping, Back to the first story there, I mean, like, you know, they're in California, you know, people calling up, uh, you know, political figures to give them a bunch of false information they're running from, running with from the Internet. I mean, that just is uh, not helpful. I mean, we need to be very concise in our speech and make sure that people understand that if there are issues that they understand the issues and they want these particular issues to be fixed. That's something that... Uh, you know, we we have a right to here in this country. And, uh, you know, over there, I mean, I'm sure that they're going to at least listen to their pleas. But I mean, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't really uh, have much of an effect where here, you know, we can still hold our leaders accountable uh, to a degree. And so, you know, yeah, just going back to that, like, uh, let's make sure that that license gets fixed if uh you know silicon valley wants to participate in the system still and hopefully with these uh defined regulations india will be able to participate too 
So I guess, uh, Janine, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, got any uh, last comment on this, Janine? Crickety, crickety. Gonna take this to the final thoughts with the sound of silence. Well, all right, if you have no comment on this, then cough up a thought, Janine. All right, you know she's gonna come up. Uh, with oh. My thought is that I just published a Twitter moment of a bunch of delete Coinbase tweets. So check that out. <laughs> I will, I just liked it. So I'm gonna have to check that out right after. I've never even used moments before. It's very finicky, but it's working. All right. All right Rick, cough it up. Yeah, my final thought today is meetups. Go support your local meetups. We are still in this uh, little bit of a bear market here, and I'm sure you could still figure out who on the ground uh, is, you know, worthy of participating in this system and understands what's going on before the next uh, bull run or anything. Just uh, get out, support your local meetups, build those local networks. It's about all for today. All right, and me, I guess, uh, let us actually try to put Coinbase against the bar again. Go grab this tweet and fucking toss it around and let's see if we can actually get them to give us a goddamn answer about the wildly coincidental wink wink timing of this neutrino acquisition and bill AB 1489 in California. On that note, mm -hmm. uh, I guess one last uh, announcement and uh, I am sorry that I'm probably going to Butcher your name here, man. But uh, after the normal episode on Sunday, we are going to be joined by uh, Mr. Zaya Sadir out of Iran to discuss a lot of the ecosystem developments going on there, as well as potentially some of the complications that crop up uh, being a resident in Iran, attempting to interact with the rest of the Bitcoin ecosystem around the globe. So we will be back Sunday for the normal episode, as well as that special edition right afterwards. Uh, we will see you guys then. Adios. Later, everyone.